Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm not a betting guy, but for y'all that are, there's Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And it's that time, time for another episode of Believe in Kentucky, Believe Podcast Network, number one podcast network for professionals, alongside the legend, double zero, Tony Depp. My name is Vinny Hardy. What's good with you, TD? Man, I'm happy to be here. Uh, another day on, on the on the right side. And like I said, we just enjoying, you know, um, Another one of our podcasts we're putting together here. I'm excited about, you know, um, what's going on in the sports world and just what's going on around the United States. I mean, a lot has been happening. So we got a lot of topics to get into, um, you know, as as this day unfolds. Absolutely. We got a, a, a special guest coming here in about 10, 15 minutes. We're going to have Anna Turulo join us. She's a co-host on BBN tonight. We at had her penciled in a few weeks ago when stuff comes up when you're trying to do live shows and trying to record TV. You've been on TV, so you know how that works. So we got to reschedule for, for this evening, so we'll be able to hop on and, and talk some cats with, with Anna as well. So looking forward right. to that in about a few minutes. Y'all will definitely enjoy that once the, the podcast is, is released and ready. Um, we'll probably save some of that for her to, you know, the Kentucky Volleyball in the Final Four. Definitely talk with Anna about that. First Final Four ever. Uh, on the football side, you know, we probably talk about that with her too. But Kentucky's doing some recruiting, man. We look, we've been used to it on the basketball side with players such as yourself, Ron Mercer, Anthony Davis, you name it. All through the years, Kentucky getting big time recruits. You know, the fam- as fans were used to that. In football, it's still kind of like, wow, these dudes coming to Kentucky. We right. we got a a pair of twins out of your home state of Tennessee, the Wade okay. twins. Keaton and Destin Wade, an outside linebacker. The other one's an athlete. He's played some quarterback. They're from Spring Hill, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. Right. They picked the Cats Friday evening right there in Big Orange Country. You had a big offensive lineman on Saturday right outside of Louisville, Keontae Goodwin, four-star offensive tackle that picked the Cats. So that's two, three top recruits in a period of 24 hours and Kentucky usually doesn't ever get those types. Right. When kid picked Kentucky over Ohio state, Alabama, Clemson, you name it. He picked Kentucky over them. And back in the day, Kentucky would beat out your recruits that, you know, he picked Kentucky over Eastern Michigan, Miami of Ohio schools like that. So the talent is just 
the recruiting under Stoops is just continuing to get better and better for us to see players like this come to Kentucky. Well, I think, like I said, he, you know, he's definitely, you know, trending, as they said, trending is the new <laughs> word for the new generation. We're trending. You're trending right now. He's trending in the right direction. Stoops has done a, you know, a, a tremendous job of just coming in and, you know, bringing in, you know, top quality players. Cause that, that's always the hardest thing when you compete against, you know, UGA, Alabama, Auburn, uh, Florida is that, you know, even Texas A&M who's added to the conference. Are you going against some, some high powered uh, programs and programs that, you know, LSU can't leave them out a program that, that have won championships. So when you can start kind of like plucking those players away from like a UGA, Alabama, and, you know, you're able to coach and develop that talent. That's where, you know, now you're going to win eight, nine games. You're going to go to bigger bowl games. But that's what you're trying to, you know, trying to do with your program is eventually get to one of those. Uh, My grandfather knew where to go to catch the biggest fish in all the lakes and rivers and streams throughout Kentucky. That's why he would have loved our newest sponsor, Monster Bass. Monster Bass is the fun and affordable way to get the best new baits from the fishing industry's top brands delivered to your door each month. Premium subscription fishing company that handpicks the best baits based on where you live and fish. No more guessing on which baits are going to work. Just leave it to the pros at Monster Bass. Basically, it's like having your own personal fishing guide and it's changing the way bass fishermen shop for baits. They're quickly becoming the number one brand for anglers everywhere. They've got the best baits from the best brands and you're covered by the industry's best customer service. So if you want to catch bigger bass this season, head over to monsterbass.com and use the code CATS10, C-A-T-S and the number 10 to get $10 off your first box. Sign up for Monster Bass now. Get to a final four, you know, have a double digit win season, but also can you sustain it? You know, it's one thing to do it one year, but when you look at, what Nick Saban has done, you know, he's a well-oiled machine, but he's been successful because he didn't just start it. You know, he's still doing it. You know, some, you see these coaches at these, these hot coaches that, you know, these NCAA and sometimes, you know, that are being hired by different programs that have that really have one good season or they make a nice NCAA tournament run. And it's like, Oh yeah, they're, they're the new hot coaches, but never do anything after that. You know, they get to the program and it just, you know, the program is, maybe one good season, but to sustain that, you know, when you hire that kind of coach, when you hire those, those uh, caliber coaches, you know, they bring you instant success, not through um, a media report or media, you know, uh, conference, you know, conference call now, but, you know, they, they actually go out there and deliver. So I'm excited about, you know, what Kentucky football has done uh, over the years, but just where they're going, they're in going in the right direction. So you're saying that, the climb to get there is hard to climb to get up the mountain, but staying there is even harder than getting there once you, as far as keeping it going. Right. Yeah. I have to say that. And the reason why is that I'm not going to say it's easy to go into a program that's already at the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Like there is nowhere to go. So we all know, okay. Yeah. If you come into a program that's already at the bottom, like you have those, you know, you, you can only go up from there. So sometimes those are jobs that when these people take these jobs, you know, in the back of their mind, it's like, well, hey, even if I'm here three or four years and we see a couple of games improvement, uh, maybe get into the conference championship, you know, 
to those people who have been losers for so long is that, wow, you know, we got something good going right here. But the great coaches, you know, they're able to, to build a program, you know, and, and we've seen many coaches who have left um, high majors and go to other high majors and be successful. And we all, we've also seen coaches go from high majors to another high major. And it's just, you know, it's almost like a lateral move, movement, but you're moving down. You know, you're not, you're not getting the same kind of players um, because then you're competing in a different conference. So when you come to the SEC and you got to compete against, you know, the different university and, and the university won championships, it's different. You know, when you just that, when you're that big dog and, you know, you have it rolling and especially with someone like Nick Saban, you know, and, but, but he had to, it, it's funny, you know, he left LSU and, you know, he was, you know, um, you know, went to Miami and it was like, oh yeah, you know, he's, he's going to do well on the next level. He didn't, you know, he, he, he went to the next level. He didn't have as much power as he thought he was, would have. And, and the players, the players didn't respond the same. The players are grown men who are making millions of dollars. They're not those uh, collegiate students that aren't getting paid, Colleg collegiate athletes, student athletes that are not getting paid. You know, these are grown men, men that feed their families. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to respect you, but you have to respect them too. And I think that's the difference in coaches going from uh, the collegiate level to the NFL or NBA or MLB. And uh, they find out, hey, you know what? These are these are some different kind of men. They are men. They're not young men. And those men want to be treated with respect. Speaking of grown men, too, that, that made me want to ask you, because I've been thinking about it and been forgetting. When you're playing in the NBA, as you did, and you, you see guys come in, because everybody's trying to feed their family, you know, same thing at the, the G League, and, you know, it's a fight to try to get up there. When you're in the NBA and you see a guy come in on a on a 10-day contract, and because DeMarcus Cousins just signed a 10-day with the Clippers, they signed him to another 10-day with the Clippers just a couple of days ago. What's the perception of you know the core roster when you see that guy come in on a 10-day? What are how are y'all looking at that guy? Is it is it kind of side eye or is everybody hoping right. he kind of makes it? How do y'all view a guy coming in on a 10-day? I think it's different with DeMarcus, man, and it's because we we know that name, you know, it's not like you bring in a 10 guy, 10 day guy that's, you know, from a mid major or someone who's had a few good games. He's part of that organization. I mean, the market is a household name because, you know, first of all, going to Kentucky, mm -hmm. uh, being a high draft pick, being an all-star. And before he got hurt, you know, he was uh, in line to get a, a mega deal, like a 130, 40, $150 million deal. You know, if, if that, that injury, Finna never torn his Achilles, you know, and then he goes to play with Golden State to get himself back and then he gets re-injured. So the market is different, um, you know, for some of those guys, you know, because he's, you know, he's still still in his prime. You know, he's still when if he had never got injured, you know, he would have been in the promise career, a promise career, probably making upper upwards of uh, 35 to 40 million dollars. I mean, he was getting ready to sign a mega deal. And even before he left Sacramento, they had talked about um, they were discussing giving the market a supermax, you know, which would have put them up in that neighborhood. And, you know, for him just to still stay humble, to still have love for the game. I mean, it speaks value for a player like DeMarcus that he hasn't given up. You know, he was saying, hey, man, if my mom could raise these kids and, you know, um, that, you know, I'm not going to ever complain. And, and that's the kind of attitude that he has taken. And that's one of the reasons why when you bring him in, 
I haven't heard anyone say um, that Marcus was a bad teammate. You know, he's always been a high character guy and a guy that he comes, he comes to play. He gives you his all. And, you know, I hate when people say, oh, the game is passed to Marcus. And I'm like, no, the game hadn't passed to Marcus. I mean, Marcus, the Marcus is, is more about the opportunity, you know, get putting them in the right situation. I think that's what's happening, you know, hopefully with the Clippers, he's fine. His, um, you know, they've given him a chance to do what he's done well. And, and that's be a force on the inside, but also a, a uh, player that can be a leader. Absolutely. We mentioned our guest just a few minutes ago, and she is here mm-hmm. with us now. <laughs> the co-host of BBN Tonight, LEX Channel 18, every weeknight at 7.30. We're talking about Anna Tarullo. Anna, welcome to Believe in Kentucky. How you doing? Doing so good. Thanks for having me on. I'm sorry it took me a minute to get here. It was crazy today. <laughs> Hello, Anna. How are you doing? Hello, Tony. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to have you. I know Vinny has been talking you up for a couple of months now, and he was Dude, like, hopefully we can get our first female on. And I told him, I said, listen, I gave him a list. I'm like, get these. Let's let's incorporate some, some women into what we're doing. I mean, they are, y'all are the backbone of, of mm-hmm. the United States. And, and uh, so he was, so to have you on, we are honored. Thank you. I'm so honored you wanted to have me on. I've been wanting to come on for a minute. And oh my gosh, Vinny, you had me on a couple. Was it, oh my gosh, maybe about a year ago when I was still in West Virginia. Yeah. And uh, I'm so happy to be on again wearing my blue in Kentucky. <laughs> That's right. Because right. you, were, you were in Charleston, West Virginia, sports mm-hmm. director over there. And now that was what I wanted to ask you too. When you, you know, everybody kind of moves around different markets, you know, in TV and that. Was it always your goal to come back to Kentucky? Did you think it would happen this soon? Or what was your, what was your? Well, that's so funny you ask that because I think I'm in like the smaller group here, the mon- the minority. It was never my desire or wish to move back to Kentucky. So I'm from Louisville. And for some reason, I don't know, ever since I was a little girl, I'm like, I don't want to live in Louisville. I want to go do something else. I'm a city person. Um, so I went to the University of Georgia. After I graduated, I lived in New York and D.C. Then I moved back home to Louisville for a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to go back to a big city. I want to be in Chicago. I want to be some Indianapolis, maybe somewhere where there's some stuff happening. Well, that didn't pan out <laughs> right away. So I ended up taking that job in Charleston, West Virginia, as we know, that is not a big city. And I was so nervous about it because I was like, oh my gosh, it's smaller. What am I going to do? But I liked it more than I thought I would. And so then when I would drive through Lexington on my way home to Louisville from West Virginia, I would hit Lexington and be like, oh my God, civilization. There's tall buildings. Look at this. When before I was like, oh my God, Lexington back on the farm. No way. So now that I moved here, I am just loving it. And I kind of prefer Lexington to Louisville. Actually, here I could stay here. But uh, it feels great. I mean, the people are awesome and there's a lot going on. So I feel so lucky. So, so tell us, tell our listeners why, why the big city over the, the small town? You know, I think yeah. in a small town, you know, everyone will know who you are. Sometime in a big city, you can get lost. So why would you prefer a bigger city over a small town? Mm-hmm. That's just my personality. I think 
uh, you know, there is something to be said for being big fish, small pond. And like when you're doing like some news that's good sports, eh, like my last sport, the last market I was in the sports, it wasn't great. We covered a lot of Marshall and some Kentucky stuff too, but, um, and Marshall's great, but it's just a different kind of fan base. But just, I was, besides just working in a sports market, I just love cities anyway, since I was little, there's something about the energy. What I loved about New York living there, you can walk, you know, out of your front door every day and anything could happen. You can meet anybody who's connected in some kind of industry you want to be in. You never know what's going to happen, who you're going to meet. And I'm a high energy person. I just like a little bit of a buzz going on. I like, you know, just a city that has some soul and like a colorfulness to it. So that's what I loved about big cities. Always something going on, something different, something for everybody. That's true. That is true. And so it was like just, the chance to come back for BBN tonight. I guess you did. Did you even see it coming? It just no. Worked. I mean, because and like the biggest, like I feel like there's been some moments in my life where I feel like God has just held me in the palm of His hand and just totally handpicked something for me. And that's what this is because not only I can talk about UK in my sleep, I probably do honestly because <laughs> I for so long loved it for so long. Um, just my archival of knowledge. That's what kind of ignited my passion for sports was Kentucky basketball. And even when I went to Georgia, you know, I'd always have my blue on because that's just the way it was. So to be given the opportunity to just talk about it every day, I'm like pinching myself. And then to people that I know and care about, they care about this content. So, you know, they're watching and that is just so awesome. And, you know, they reached out to me about the position and even just the opportunity to work with the team on BBN tonight, it's so different than any other opportunity you'd find in local news. So I'm not lying to you. Like every other day, I'm just like, how did this happen for me? Isn't that crazy? And uh, the fact that it's, it really does something for your headspace when they reach out to you and are like, hey, we think you'd be good for this. You go in there like, oh man, like I want to contribute. I'm ready. So it seemed like this has been Seem like it's been like a childhood dream of yours to, to be a co-host or to be a host or even have your own show. So mm-hmm. when, when, when did this start for you? When did you know, knew that you want to be on TV? Yeah. So, I, I mean, young. I mean, really, I was about five or six years old and I went to news broadcasters camp. I went to like a local news camp. I always knew I wanted to work in local news. And then I was probably, I played basketball growing up. My dad was my coach. So we, oh my gosh, high school games, college games. We've been to a million final fours. So growing up, I was probably about 11 or 12 when I decided I wanted to be a sports broadcaster because, you know, growing up sitting with my dad, discussing everything, gave me the confidence to look at a game that I had high basketball IQ, you know, and that I could understand what was going on and have a conversation about it. So I was probably about 11 or 12. And I've never wavered from what I knew what I wanted to do. I did get out of the industry for a little bit when I lived in uh, back home in Louisville for about a year. And um, I just felt so unfulfilled. So to be able to get back into it and now cover things that I care about, I just look back and I'm like, how did this happen for me? You know? So when, let's see. Oh, speaking of, you said that you said high school. Mm-hmm. Gave him a shout out last week because TD, she went to hate Sacred Heart in Louisville and they, they just won the girls sweet 16 for the state of Kentucky. So you're oh, they did. Okay. School is the state. Yeah. Of they were so happy for coach Moyer and coach Matt Carson, all of them. I mean, they look great. And that team is so young. Oh my gosh. They're going to be great. They're going to be so good. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
they they brought it home and and they they got a chance to make a nice little run there. I, when she went to Georgia, TD, she told us this when she was on on Cast Talk Wednesday, my other podcast. You know, Kentucky was in town. You were like a like a student reporter, sideline reporter for Georgia, but they were constantly fighting trying to get her to wear red, and she wouldn't. <laughs> Not do. I wore blue to that game. It was Carl Towns, Willie Colley sign year. Everyone was at that game. Charles Barkley came to that game. Bill Belichick was at that game. Wow. I, I didn't work every game, but for some reason I got put on this one. And our guy, Claude Felton, big sports information guy there, he came up to me and he was like, are you wearing blue? I was like, Claude, yes, you knew this about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so be, being a being a Louisville graduate, um, was, it, was your family – a Cardinal fan or they're like a big UK fan. Cause it's sometimes when, when I think about Louisville, they're, they're kind of split. It's either you're a Louisville Cardinal fan or you like Kentucky, but what, what did your family, what did, what did they, what did they, uh, what did they lay on top of this? When it yeah. Comes down to a thousand percent it's split. And I think that's what's so, I think it makes you like a more passionate UK fan growing up in Louisville because you have to like, you know, defend your honor all the time because you're always, there's always John going on. So like your arguments get really, really good there. But so my dad is a Louisville grad. And then my oh. brother, brother and younger sister, my older brother uh, is went to U of L as well. And he was in like the March band, marching band, pet band, all that stuff. So he, my brother's pretty much Louisville, but my dad, he kind of gave us the choice growing up, what we wanted to be. I definitely went to more Louisville games growing up because it was right there. My dad, when it comes down to it, he's true blue. He'll lean blue for sure if they're playing each really? other. Ooh, yeah, okay. but um, it took me to Rep Arena just like one game or even before that, just reading online about the history of Kentucky and that it is such, you know, you say the name Kentucky basketball, people everywhere know it. It'll give you goosebumps. Like the winning is program. How are you not going to be cheer for that? And so then when you go to Rub Arena and they play, you know, bittersweet symphony and you see all the old highlights and you see all the stuff in the Raptors, there's guys in blue blazers. I was, I just like went the first time and was like, <laughs> I loved it. It was, I don't know. I've just always been so it's stirred a feeling within me. Now, I know being on BBN tonight, you cover all of the sports. And, and right now, the topic of the day and the week is Kentucky volleyball making it to their first Final Four in school history. They're killing it, dude. They're killing it. And I love Coach Skinner. We laugh all the time because all the girls on the team call him Craig. They're like, oh, yeah, Craig said this because that's their like first name basis with their coach. It's hilarious. But um. What a mature team. I mean, they had every opportunity to kind of like um, talk about how the unfair treatment by the NCAA, their late start times, all this stuff. And this is how I know they, they really have a chance to join the whole thing is that none of that affects them. They are focused. They're locked in. They're in their own rhythm. And I just think they're awesome. Allie Stumler is so cool. And she was great last night. They're just fun to watch. I don't want to jinx them, but they remind me of another really dominant Kentucky team from uh, five or six years ago. That was really good. Uh, just watching them in their matches, you know, they haven't lost a set in the NCAA tournament, which is crazy. So yeah. how, how was it? How, how did Coach Skinner get these young ladies to buy in? Because, you know, he's been there for some years. And, you know, Benny and I was kind of talking about coaches who not have you know, the game is past, past them. You know, it's kind of like the, getting the, you have to adapt to new, newer generation. How has he been able to adapt to newer generation kids? 
I think they, again, they call him by his first name. I think there's something so relatable about him and he's so easy to talk to. He's been one of my favorite coaches that we've done Zooms and stuff with. But um, I was talking to a former coach, Kathy DeBoer. We did an interview with her last week and she was just talking about, um, you know, if your team is winning, the last thing you want to do is mess with anything mentally. You know, you don't want to give them any sort of anxiety. Let them be them. It's more of a mental game at this standpoint than the physical game. Uh, when you've made it this far in the tournament. And uh, I mean, they're so good. We saw them, they were down a little bit in that first set uh, last night and how calm they were, you know, it didn't rattle him. I think he has a lot of maturity and a lot of experience on that team. And um, even all the girls that we talked to, they're so professional and so focused. They're not worried about the other teams. Uh, just today, Ali Stumler was talking about, you know, Madison Lilly, Gabby Curry. And she's like, I, I play with a lot of perfectionists. You know, they're not worried about what the other team is doing. They're each set. They're like, how can I get better? And Coach Skinner said that, too. He said, you know, they, they're 70 and four in the past four years in the SEC. And wow. even that good, still every practice, how do I get better? Now it's a championship mentality. And, and Purdue played them tough, like you mentioned, the first set. They were Purdue was up 11 to 6, they yeah. were up 17 to 12. You know, Kentucky would cut it to two or three. Purdue would spurt away. And then they finally got it tied and took the lead. Second set, still a little bit back and forth. The third set, they just beat them down. It was <laughs> it was seven nothing, 11 to one. And if 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 it was a time sport, they would have been on a running clock in that third That's set because they just destroyed them. It's wild. And so what I'm hoping for when they play Washington on Thursday, Washington, they've showed a lot of resilience. They've battled back. I think two, two or three of their matches have gone um, to five sets in the tournament. So you're hoping maybe that's worn them down by a little bit and Kentucky can just put them away and get to that championship game. That's what I'm hoping for. So they, they definitely have a chance. Like I said, it seemed like they've, you know, been dominant the last couple of years, but who, who was the, who is the one player you can say that's that's the leader on this team that's helping oh. them and spurring them and, and bringing the energy, but also showing the leadership ability, you know, to have gotten them as far as they've as they've uh, gone. I think last uh, last night it was absolutely without a doubt it was Allie Stumler. She was unbelievable. Um, I don't know the terms as well for volleyball because I didn't play, but she had a couple of really really big just monster plays. She even had a double double and. Um, I don't know. I love her attitude too. Uh, there, there's not a whole lot of, I don't know. They're just there. They're there to put in the work. They're down to business type of people. Madison Lily's great too. And Gabby Curry. They're, they're really well-rounded. The Skinner girls who are unrelated to Craig. Isn't that so funny? They have two girls on the team with the same, <laughs> but wow. they've been great too. We had on the other podcast, uh, we, of course you met TB last week, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Tony, but we had Leah Edmond on our Cat Talk Wednesday podcast who finished her career last year and arguably the best player in Kentucky volleyball history. So really? I was like you, I was, I was asking her a lot of the terms. I was like, I know you're going to probably think I'm crazy and these questions are so basic, but I don't know the X's and O's. So I'm like, what does a Libero do? I'm like, you know, what, what does this, what I said, tell me about styles of play. We know, we know in basketball, oh, three point shooting team, Oh, right. Pounded into the post football. It's a power running team. I said, what are the styles of play for volleyball and, and how, what type of style does Kentucky play? And she said, it's basically on how, how fast they hit it, how fast they serve it over. It's a tempo thing. Kentucky is one of the faster tempos 
not the fastest, but they're they're kind of a quicker tempo team. And of course, they're really strong defensively. And, you know, because they were blocking a lot of Purdue's stuff every time they tried to spike it. There were just two girls there swatting it back in their face. So that was she she enlightened me a lot. Cause I, like I said, I, <laughs> I don't know a lot of it as well. And I think, you know, with unfortunately the men not making it to March Madness. The whole fan base is just kind of we got Wait. we got a tournament to watch. Let's watch this volleyball team, and everybody's excited yeah. about it. And you know, cool. this this time of year, we're just supposed to be watching some kind of tournament play in Kentucky. <laughs> I need to watch that episode so I can learn more about. I saw this tweet last night, and it cracked me up. It was like, all right, volleyball has the coolest terminology. It's like ace, kill, <laughs> big spike. Yeah. I was like. <laughs> I feel like it's like a spy or something. Well, I, I have no, I have no idea how the terminology works. So it, as Vinny was was calling out the terminology, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, when you, when, when you have to go to a transition to another sport. So my question to you is how, I mean, you've done different sports, you know, you've done football, you've done the sideline reporting, mm-hmm. you've done basketball. Is there mm-hmm. one, well, I know you like basketball more. How is it in football? How, how do you tell us being a sideline reporter to follow a game and to be able to interview the coaches and the players. How exciting is that? And also tell us about the weather. So I know the weather becomes an issue on the football. Oh, God. So I really kind of got baptized by fire doing the sideline. I, uh, my first sudden experience, well, actually I did a little bit of college stuff in Washington, DC. I covered Georgetown has a football team. They're a little bit smaller, but that those were kind of my first couple games and I'm an idiot. And uh, it was a night game. And it was in the fall, a little bit later that fall. It was bright and sunny out earlier in the day. So it felt good. So I wore a skirt and, <laughs> and a sweater. And then the sun went down. And I was like, oh, my God. I went. They had, thank God, they were selling, like, apparel. I went and got, like, a Georgetown scarf, gloves, hat, blanket, jacket. I was decked out for the <laughs> homerism. But... I'm also an idiot. That was so dumb. But um, then I really got kind of baptized by fire. I covered a lot of arena football um, and it was so fun. And it to be to have that some of my first experiences as a sideline reporter, it was great because in arena football, they kind of have these little like cages where the bench is. So I was in there the whole entire game. So I could and they would come to me on and off. So just to be that up close to the game and get a feel for it and be able to ask questions just kind of off the top of my head. But um, truly, I really love the pace of college football. Um, okay. It's a little easier for me doing sideline because, um, I don't know, it's kind of easier to formulate your, there's like different storylines, but I don't know, I really like it. And then you kind of know, you have more time in between your hits to really formulate a good question. But basketball definitely has my heart. That's my heart and soul right there. The days are getting longer. That means more time out and about in the sun. And if your sunglasses game isn't on point, you know how frustrating that can be. It's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Canaan. Canaan sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Use the exclusive code CANANCAST15 at canon.com to receive 15% off on your first pair. That's K-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T, the number 15. Canon, clearly better. 
I'm I'm not a huge pet peeve guy, but it's like watching a game or I'm not one that gets upset at the broadcasters or, you know, right. whether they're good, whether it's, a you know, John Madden or somebody that's not as good. Or, right. I, it, it doesn't, I'm not usually one. Sometimes you go to Twitter and you'll see a broadcaster trending because people are just ripping the person. I'm not that guy. But last night after um, Florida and Wisconsin went off, it was 45 minutes until Kentucky and Purdue started. And there's, there's, you know, a, a man and woman in the studio talking back and forth talking about the match that just ended kind of previewing Kentucky and Purdue a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not picking just because it happened to be the female that said this and I'm not, it's not me at all. But I know you're, you're the talking. lady says, and look, we all know, even as casual fans know Kentucky had never been to the final four right. in volleyball and she's talking and she says, I don't think Craig Skinner has ever been to the national semifinal or the final four. I'm like, how do you get on TV and say, I don't think he's been to the Final Four? I said, why don't you look that up and know what you're talking about? Now, right. maybe I shouldn't have been so yeah. hard on her, but I think you should have your stuff together and don't yeah. tell her them. I don't think he's been to the Final Four. Oh, yeah. Look that up. And I right. mean, y'all have been on TV. I haven't. Y'all two have, not me. So I'm, maybe I shouldn't be so hard <laughs> on her, but I'm like, come on now. Hopefully it just like came out wrong how she said it, because not only you didn't have, you know, the games are dwindling down. You're getting a smaller, smaller amount each time. So you know about the teams going into it. And if it's your job to mm-hmm. kind of transition in between, um, there's not that many things you could say. You would kind of know before a match. And if you're at ESPN, I mean, they have researchers where you would know that, you know, so come on. Yeah, the biggest storyline is Kentucky's going to make it to the first Final Four ever if they right. win. And she's up there talking about, I don't think he's ever been before. <laughs> so I just had to get that off my chest. Y'all appreciate that. So Anna, therapy. Anna, when you, for, for some of our young listeners who are young ladies and would like to follow in the footsteps of someone like yourself, what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, man. Um Hmm. Where do I begin? That's such a great question. I think I would just begin with say yes to everything. And then your first couple of jobs, this is what I would tell people. Your first couple of jobs and internships and while you're in college, it is not about you. You might be there to kind of get a reel and get some experience and put some stuff together. I get it. But the interns uh, that I see go the furthest They have a team mentality from the beginning. They're there um, to make the team better, to help out in any way they can. And a lot of the connections I made in college that really ended up helping me, it was at CBS Sports and, you know, ESPN. I would be a runner on college football uh, game days and even four. So basically what that is, is um, anything they need, you go do it. I mean, it could be anything. You're just helping with production. Right. of sideline reporters who um, gave me a lot of advice. So that's big. The other thing I would say, if you want to be on air, work on your voice, work on your voice. And um, even, you know, listen to yourself. If you're on TV, don't watch, listen to yourself. And to have kind of a deeper, more authoritative voice, not everybody naturally has it, but you can work on it. If you're a woman in sports broadcasting, it's really nice not to be like, I don't know, the game was okay. You have to be like, (laughs) really hold your ground, you know, and know what you're talking about what you're saying that is probably the best advice I got in college that I that's still helpful to me today and that's what I notice more you know when I go back and watch my clips 
I more critique my voice and how I sound than, you know, what I look like or uh, a lot of other things. It's just really important. Was there a mentor? You know what? Um, Nikki Noto, she did some stuff with ESPNU. I met her at a final four. She has helped me a lot. There's so many women in this industry who are willing to help that if you aren't, is just crazy because nobody gets anywhere with the, without the help of these, you know, women who've gone before you. And another thing I'll say too, when I graduated college, I was, everybody's in a rush. You know, they want to be the first one out of their age group to get on ESPN or get on Fox sports South or whatever. And I remember people who were older telling me like, what are you in a rush for? Like you have your whole career. And so when I just got, you know, into the business, I was more about like stepping stones and like the title of the job meant more to me than, you know, what I was doing. And then I kind of had a change of perspective. And I was like, no, I need to really hone my craft. And it does, it matters more about what I bring to the job than whatever that job title is being attached to me, you know? So work on the small skills and then you'll get noticed for what you, that's what happened to me. When I was in West Virginia, I came in with the mentality of like, I'm going to come in there and try to be as valuable as I can to my team and contribute and get good at the small things. And then once you have kind of built that success, um, other opportunities, you attract them by being the best you can be. So that's helped me a lot. Um, and then Olivia Harlan Decker, she's married now. It was one of Claude Bar maiden name. She was my friend in college and she were the same age, but just we talk all the time and just some wisdom that she's poured into me watching her prep has been so helpful. There's so many girls I went to college with um, and a little bit older than me that we all share notes on like sideline reporting and you people from the outside looking in would think it would be catty or competitive, but I'm telling you some of the nicest, most inclusive women um, are in sports broadcasting because we've all been there. We all know what it's like. And I love seeing my friends shine. I mean, it can't hurt you. It's just, it's, it's a good time to be a woman in sports. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, do you prefer live or recorded shows? Cause you know, is live, there live, yeah. live? Oh, because you have the adrenaline and it's like, you get out of your head because you can only do it once. So like if me and Keith are doing, we've done one live show since I've been here. To me, it's more fun because it's like, all right, even if I mess up, you got one take, you just got to keep going. When it's taped, it's hard to get the same energy you would if it were live. And then especially knowing if you can like start over, it's like, eh, you get more in your head to do it perfectly. But when it's live, you throw perfect out the window and you just kind of have fun. So that's what I like. And explain us how, how has it been working with Keith? I know it's it's, yeah. it's new. It seemed like our relationship is has gotten a lot tighter, but um, you know, just get an opportunity to work with someone new when you work with so many different people. Totally. And Keith is awesome. And I am telling you, this staff that I'm on now, I'm not just saying this, it has been the best mix of personalities and best environment out of anywhere I've ever worked, not just in news, not just in TV. I mean, they did a hell of a job hiring people with a similar energy mindset, even sense of humor. And um, just everybody's willingness to put an effort to have a good show. I don't know. I just, when I came in for my interview, I did a little trial run with Keith and it was great. And uh, I left that day and I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I already fit in with them so well. I was like, I hope the feeling is mutual. But um Keith is awesome. And I'm telling you, you don't meet many people in your life where you say, oh, Keith Farmer, every single person, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is Keith is the greatest guy. You don't meet many people like that. And that's what 
thought he said he's awesome. And um, I really like his approach to kind of leading the sports department and leading the team. He just, uh, it's a great place to be and to work. Have to get him on here with us at some point. And if he comes, if you go in tomorrow and he says his ears were burning, we just tell him we were talking about him on Believe in Kentucky. Me, Keith. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, you mentioned, I think, when, uh, when we had you on last year that you, know, you weren't a huge NBA team fan. You longtime listeners to the podcast are already familiar with what our friends Dave and Ben at La Terrain have been doing. La Terrain watches. They tell your story with every moment in time captured on your wrist. You guys also know that TD has been partnered up with La Terrain for a long time, and now we're honored that they are sponsoring the Believe in Kentucky podcast. You can tell your story with a wide variety of La Terrain watches. The Red Crest, the Silk Robes, the Navigator, the Compass, the Legacy. Go to the website, LaTerrain.com, L-A-T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E.com, and you can pick your style. Click on that 25% off tag and see how you can get a discount. You can also accessorize your watches. La Terrain, they got you covered. Definitely go in there and check them out. But like, you were an AI guy. AI was your guy. Uh, no, you know. The- AI is like my dream interview. Like when I would do Midnight Madnesses at Georgetown, I got to interview Dikembe Mutombo one time. I got to do a little finger wag. It was the best moment of my life this far. The be- I remember I like walked home for part of the way after that. And I was just like on clock. I felt like I was floating. I was like, I interviewed Dikembe Mutombo. He was so nice, so cool. And so then I covered the next, mar- or, I'm sorry, Midnight Madness. It's a March Madness. Midnight Madness for um, Georgetown. And I was like, oh my God, if Alan Iverson was there, I would fall over and I would die. He's awesome. I have a t-shirt of his slam cover, the one where he's got, you know, the braids and it's, oh, it's my favorite. His slam covers are the best. I don't know. I'm just a big AI fan. He's just my favorite. Well, TD, I got to ask, because you came into the league in 96 with AI. Uh-huh. First of all, first question, because what what was it like for y'all as as pro players? Because we all remember when AI crossed MJ, he crossed him up twice and hit the jumper on him in '96. So what was the talk in the locker room for you as a rookie? What were the veterans saying? Was it a lot of chatter about that play? Because it you know it hit Sports Center, we were all like, oh, AI crossed MJ. Right. I think as I think as a player, you don't you don't think about it. I mean, everyone makes a good move. I mean, and, you know, he's crossed over a lot of people. You know, it's just like Michael Jordan has dunked on uh, so many guys. You know, Dikembe has blocked so many shots. And as a player, you don't really get caught up in that. You know, it's there's too many games to get caught up into what just happened the game before or the night that you just played and someone might have dunked on you. It's like, OK, we have another game. So really, you kind of block it out. And, and coming into 96 with you know, with the 96 class and us having so, so much, so many talented players, you know, you didn't think that a class of so many young players, you know, would be hall of famers, but will have successful careers. And, you know, you look back at AI and Ray Allen and Stefan, all these guys were coming, Sharif, Antoine, uh, all these guys were coming out, coming out of school early, which I hated. I was like, dang, you being a senior, like these guys are getting, you know, I would have been a lottery pick and would have made a little bit more money my first couple of years, but it was, it was very competitive. Um, a lot, a lot of scouting work was done, you know, on that younger 
generation of players during that time. And, you know, it, it really, to me, I think the league was losing some veteran players and it was like the next wave, which was going to be your Kobe, uh, your AI, you know, um, you know, even a pages who didn't come over early, but you could kind of see where the trend was going, you know, cause when owners think about their organization, they want to definitely have a face of organization a few of these guys from the 96 draft ended up being the face of these uh, some of these different um, organizations. So it, it was important that they did their homework. You know, when you were bringing a guy like AI and a guy like Kobe Bryant, because it's so funny. I tell people's story. I didn't know who Kobe was. And for those who, who say as a sophomore, junior, senior in college, we didn't know him. You know, we really didn't. You know, we knew uh, during the draft because I was going to Charlotte. You know, I worked out for Charlotte twice. And Kobe was, I think he might've came in for a workout, but still high school players wasn't going. Cause back in 95, you know, Kevin Garnett was like the first big time high school player that came out during our time. And then even though Kobe was drafted, you know, 13, we really didn't, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, okay, young kid. I knew who Vladi Deepak was because <laughs> Vladi Deepak had just lost to uh, my favorite team, the Bulls. So I knew exactly who Vladi was. But I had no clue who Kobe Bryant was. And 20, you know, 20 years some odd later, I mean, you're Hall of Famer, you know, and just one of those one of those great drafts that we can look back on and look at the talent pool that was in that draft. Mm-hmm. My second thing for you, too, because, you know, back in the 90s, it was AI's crossover. Tim Hardaway had one before that. His wasn't as big as AI's, but it was real quick and, and explosive. And he got a lot of guys with his. The only guy Euro stepping back then was probably like Manu Ginobili. Now everybody has a Euro step. So are you a Euro step guy? What did you think about it? What do you <laughs> think about it now? <laughs> it, it's so funny that I'm, I'm teaching my kids, you know, the Euro step that I've never used in my life. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is how you do the Euro. This is how you do the Euro step. I have, I've never, you know, I stopped playing ball maybe a year or two ago, but I'm still teaching a move that this generation loves. Yes. And when, when, if you think about Ginobili, Manu Ginobili, when he first tried to move, it, it was a travel. They was like, it was a travel because they had never seen the move before. Yeah. So it's like bringing like, you know, and I know Anna, AI crosser was a carry. He held the ball and then he crossed you over. So it was one of those moves that as you're watching, it was like, hold on, that's supposed to be a carry. And then yeah. next thing he crosses you over. And before you know it, you know, he's scoring or he's going by <laughs> you. And then you find yourself on Sports Center. But that move Manu Ginobili brought to the United States is when I tell you it's a signature move, the next signature move would be James Harden's step back. That mm-hmm. you have to incorporate the Euro step and also the step back to this generation because that's what they're seeing. And, you know, Anna, you can contest to this. This generation is more about highlights not about watching full games for sure just like i feel like with music too it's not about whole albums anymore it's just about songs like your snip there's this big of snippets and i think i don't know whether that's good or bad are you showing the nitty-gritty and the ugly part you know how are defenders going to be coming out now everyone just wants to be steph curry and shoot it so since we're on music do you do you have a do you have a favorite artist oh she can talk some music with us td she can talk some music now she knows about the, about the verses and all that. She can talk music with us all day. Parliament. I was listening to the Thriller album today on my way to work her PYT. Um, <laughs> the 
Earth, Wind, and Fire. Vinny knows about Earth, Wind, and Fire. And oh, I- uh, Vinny knows that's that's one of my favorite groups. About two years ago, I got it. I had a chance to go to uh, to the concert here in Atlanta, and I'm telling you, I've been to several concerts. Concert that was by far the best. And Chic opened for them, and I'm cracking up because. Earth, Wind, and Fire gets through their whole set list and like people are starting to leave and I'm probably like the youngest person in there by a long shot. People are walking out like, they haven't played In the Stone yet. They're coming back for the encore. People are like, oh my God, shit, she's right. So they came back. I'm like, fine, you guys, don't play with me. I know every song and when they're going to play it. I was like, you can't. They told you. Like that kind of funk. Disco has been my favorite genre since I was like little, like eight years old. Like my mom had a wow. disco. Put it on, knock on wood. I don't know. Just always liked it because it's it's happy. You get you moving. It's just good stuff. You know, sometimes we can do we can bring we can do a whole podcast on music with Anna. She's <laughs> the verses, the Earth Wind and Fire, Ozzy Brothers oh. verses, the D'Angelo verses. Oh. Anna, hey, Anna knows all I, about it. I, see, I love surprising people like talking about music. They think I don't know what I'm talking about, and then I'll be like, P funk. Big. <laughs> You know, give up the font. Like I don't know. They just think I don't so, know. So give us, give us a young artist that you're like. Are, are you the your little baby, baby, the baby fan? I mean, who was one of yeah. the, the younger artists that you like? Dua Lipa. I almost said her name wrong. I don't really listen to a lot of new new music, but I do like Dua Lipa because I think like some of her stuff is starting to sound a little more, a little bit more like new disco. So that's what, and I like Bruno Mars, of course, because all of his stuff sounds old. Like I just like. Okay. I read this really awesome Quincy Jones article one time and he was like, listen, people don't make music anymore. He's like, it used to be musicians and you had eight notes and you do whatever you want with them and you have to go and learn and be trained on a piano, you know, on a horn, on whatever you're being trained. And that's how you create a song. Now it's just like all online and you're just or online on the computer. It's digital. And you're using all these weird snippets. It's not like a musician anymore. He also said this. And I was like, damn, he's right. He was talking about how if you're going to use a sample and everything now is sampled, that you it has to be so good that people want to listen to your song and not the original. So like when I hear that, I think of like Hypnotize, like a Notorious B.I.G. song. And yeah. I'm like, that's because he did it really well. That's what you want to listen to. And now, I mean, you just hear so many samples and it just makes me want to turn on the older music instead of what I'm listening to. <laughs> you no? Know? Because yeah, he took that... <clears throat> That Herb Alpert and made yes. his own. Yeah, that rise from, yep, that's it. But, uh, and my dad said something, and this was probably back in the 90s now, but he said, I would, I would love to see if Marvin Gaye was alive now. Cause back then you had, you know, you had Black Street coming out, you had all that. Right. I would love to see what Marvin Gaye would have been able to do now with the way music is, which, I mean, we would never know, but that, that was always an intriguing thought if, if he would have been around to, to see what he sounded like. He'd have been older, but he'd have been doing the new stuff and what what kind of twist he would have put on on music. Vin, the one tweeted and said Marvin Gaye's dad was from Nicholasville, or somebody tweeted that. And I was like, what? I Look think at he that. was. Yeah, I, I think I was reading um, something came up. I, I want to say he is from Kentucky, Marvin Gaye's dad. Hmm. I, I have to check and make sure. But my, I think my sources had him being from some part of Kentucky. Um, but it, it, it's... You know, if we think about the music in the 70s, 60s, 70s, is that we actually knew artists. Like, there's, to me, there's too many artists out right now, you know, yeah. and, and and it's so funny that 
you know, I hate to say this generation, I keep, he keep calling them millenniums, but, um, but just how they're making music, how fast they're making music, you know, no one is really buying albums. It's more about streaming. And most of these artists make their money from, um, you know, from shows, you know, I, I was looking at, I think, what is it? Money bag, yo. <laughs> so, you know, but, but I'm thinking like, he's going to pay the 125,000 for show. I'm like, really? Who's paying yeah. him that kind of money? But these artists are making so much more money than the great artists of decades ago. Right. Beyonce had a really good quote one time. She was talking about maybe this is when she was playing Etta James. And she said, it's so different now because you sell the image like you sell yourself as a person, really. And it's about, you know, what she wearing. This is what she wore. But back then, you know, you only had the radio. You didn't necessarily have TV and people magazine. So you knew Etta James voice when you heard it. Right. You the singer it wasn't like you know oh that's Beyonce. now when we think of beyonce like her, her voice her songs don't necessarily come to mind you think about what she looks like or what she wears and i was like that is so interesting it is it really is it makes it as accessible as it is it makes it harder from a, or, a vocal standpoint as weird no. as that sound I had one listener question, TB, that I meant to ask you, just flipping it back to basketball. It may put you on the spot. It may not. I, but uh, Mike Patton from down in Nashville wanted to know who your favorite teammate was. Oh, man. Hey, you know, you know what? <laughs> I can't answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think everyone knows that probably my favorite teammate was the person who, who I spent four years in college when that was Walt McCarty. And we, we ended up playing two years with the Boston Celtics. And we probably talk, uh, man, we probably talk once a week now. You know, I had to send him a, uh, uh, my daughter wanted to send a graduation announcement to him. I was like, hey, let me call him up. And, of course, we get on the phone. We're talking about, you know, just the NBA coaching. But one of, when I say just a, a really great person, someone I enjoyed rooming with for four years. Um, and our relationship started at the Kentucky Derby Festival. I know you probably and it was probably before your time. It was 19, I want to say 91, 92. So we were actually roommates then. So when we had our chance, you know, we kind of was coming to college and I was like, hey, we already know each other. Let's be roommates. But even going back uh, before that game, John Wallace and I became really good friends. So John Wallace was my McDonald's All-American roommate. And John Wallace and I, we're still good friends to this day. And, you know, it was it was tough winning the championship in 96 and playing against John Wallace, who was a good friend of mine. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, I, if, if I say anyone, and I had a lot of really good teammates, you know, on several NBA teams, guys that I click with, um, you know, but even on our 96 team, you know, I, I thought we was a close-knit bunch of guys. You know, we had a few different transfers, but just how Coach Patino was able to mesh all the talent um, get us to sacrifice, get all of us to buy in. Cause it's, it's so hard when you have that much talent and with myself being a senior, Walter being a senior, Mark Pope, uh, you know, we was thinking past college, you know, cause we knew in a few months, our season was going to be over with. And we had to look at the next, the next stage of our life, which was for us, the NBA. And it's really just trying to transition into your next, your next career, your next, your next move in life. And it's always, you know, Anna, you and you can contest to this. You know, it, it's scary to not know what's next. It's like when you finish, and it's like, where do I go next? Like, what's my next challenge? You know, it's it's scary for those for those former NBA players, even as broadcasters, 
you know, trying to figure out what's next when a, let's say a company doesn't bring you back and you got to figure out like, what's my next job? Mm -hmm. I have a question for you, Tony. When you watch a coach Patino coach team now, Mm -hmm. do you recognize some of the things he's doing and be like, oh yeah, just like bring you back? It, it does. You know, i tell you what was funny was years ago um, when he was coaching at Louisville and my nephew was on the team. And I remember going back and I watched practice for a couple of days and it was just, he was so different in how he coached really? us to how he was coaching my nephew. And I, and I was, when I tell you, I was blown away. I was like, he would never let us do that. He would never let us talk in practice. He would never let us, because we still had, I went and watched like practice with, uh, with Russ Smith. And I mean, some of the things that he would try to do and he, he attempted to do coaches, he was, he went along with it. And, you know, so he was able, even as we see him coach right now, he's able to adapt. A lot of coaches that probably coach with him during his time, his tenure, uh, those coaches really, it was, it was hard to adapt to this generation when, you know, you, you coach guys hard. Um, you know, there was, there might've been some verbal abuse that was going on, you know, things that we were used to hearing. I mean, I feel like this, I heard so many, I heard, heard so many things. I was like, listen, I don't even care anymore, but Right. You can't talk to this generation like that, you know, without their feelings being hurt. They're a little mm-hmm. sensitive. And, mm-hmm. you know, Vinny, I talked, you know, we talked maybe a couple other podcasts ago, but just this whole transfer portal is, is, is not to say it's ridiculous. I think you, as a collegiate student, you have a right to, if you're not, I'm not going to say playing, but if you're in a situation where you have to compete and you leave because you don't like competition, I don't think that's the reason to leave and go to another school. But it's one thing if a coach is not playing you or you don't like the city, um, you know, there's things that can arouse that can, you know, persuade you one way or another. But when it comes down to competition and you're running for competition, I don't like that. Right. Makes sense. That makes sense. Is there anything in the next couple of days, little sneak previews that you can tell us that's coming up on BBN tonight? so the uk cheer and dance team they're heading to nationals we talked to them and that was so fun and it was really cool to talk to cheer because they're so dominant and the stuff that they do is just mind-bending i mean we were watching some of their like practice video and it's like they are the most athletic people i've ever seen in my life it's crazy and uh they have such a winning and championship culture that i feel like a lot of people don't know about because, you know, they're there cheering on our other teams and our other sports. So to be able to talk to them is so cool. And then, um, good God, Kentucky football is killing it on the recruiting trail. Yahtzee after Yahtzee. So that's so cool. We've talked a lot about that. We've had a really uh, fun time with football this spring because it's the first time we've really been able to sit down with any of the players or coaches in over a year because everything was done you know, because of uh, through Zoom and stuff. So that has been really fun. But I think we're just volleyball focused right now. We're like, come on, bring it home. It would be so nice to have a little piece of hardware in our cabinet, new piece. That's right. Especially after our, our, our Kentucky Wildcat men's. I know. Didn't get an invite. <laughs> you know the first time that I like found out about you kind of, do you, did you know Carly Omerod who played for Kentucky and she wore your number? Carly. Double D. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I met her. Yes. Yeah. He worried never, but she played at Sacred Heart, too. And she was a couple years older than me. Yes. And 
doubles were there too. And so I, I looked up at her so much. I was like, oh my God, Carly Omrod is a basketball goddess. Like I thought she was famous. And it was like, okay. One time I was like reading an interview about her and it was like, why do you wear a double zero? And she's like, I wear a double zero because of Tony Doak. So I was like, maybe like fifth grade. And I feel like that's the first time your name ever came into my consciousness because of Omrod rocking your number. Isn't that yes, cool? Yes, yes. I, I got a chance to meet her while I think I might've been on the coaches staff and we took yeah. a picture together and I told her I was honored that she yeah. wore my number for so many years. I say it brought me so it, it brought me so much good luck that you know when you think about a number that you choose as a as a high school player and you can hey. keep wearing that number through college, NBA. You know, I said it, it did me well. And I the reason why I chose the number was because of my brother. My older brother wore double zero. He was in college, yeah. probably man, I want to say before I was even born. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny how it gets passed down? Like it originally came from your brother and then you wore it. Carly wore it. Now I'm sure there's a bunch of girls who wore it because of Carly. So to think of brother to like little girls playing right now, that's wild to think about. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is. Um, I had another question too and forgot it. But so that's, oh, you mentioned your brothers are, are all is everybody like about six one? Do they have long arms like you? Because everybody talks about Tony Dove's wingspan. Are your <laughs> brothers all about the same height? And do they right. have that wingspan like you? Well, I, I have I have five brothers, so we all different heights. You know, six four, six three, I think six two, six one. So okay. we're right around the same way. I, I just happened to get a a longer wingspan, which allowed <laughs> me to be able to be a a a much better defender. Than I was in, because uh, I really knew a whole lot of defending in high school. I was about scoring. And when I got <laughs> to Kentucky, see, Anna, you don't know this. See, people see me as winning a championship, being the most right. player. I was about to be in the transfer portal <laughs> in 1992. Transfer portal. I wasn't playing, you know. So it's, it's like coming in, being one of the top players in the country, and sitting back and just watching, you know, and watching my peers play. So I remember having a conversation with Coach Patino, telling him that, hey, you know, when the season ends, I'm going to transfer to another school. Wow. And it's so funny when you're being recruited by these college coaches that they're going to tell you everything. Hey, you're going to play this amount of minutes and, you know, you're going to be on TV. And, you know, so Isaac. he sold all that to me. But, you know, a lot of it was I had to get better, had to mature. It's my first time really, really leaving home and having to grow up. And, and as I stated earlier, having a challenge from a senior that was not going to give me his position, you know, yeah. so – I tell my kids in my program, the TDBA, Tony Oak Basketball Academy, competition. You got to compete. I say a senior job to a sophomore junior is to keep that junior, sophomore junior on the bench. And your job is to try to take that person's job. And I yeah. said, that's what I was trying to do every day at practice. And that, that senior was trying to keep me on the bench. So mm -hmm. I had to learn a lot. You know, you had to go through adversity, kind of see what kind of person you are if you're up for the challenge, if you are a real competitor, because some people say, I like to compete. Most kids don't like to compete. Most right. kids like to move from program to program in AAU and high school to high school. And when a competition is right in front of their face, they fold. And I was not one of, I was not going to be one of those guys because my brothers who were older than me, they taught me so much about the game, about being a competitor, not giving up and just working hard and, and your opportunity or time will come, but will you be ready? Right. I feel like now it's so much more about like ego and bruised ego and what it looks like you are if you're supposed to be a top recruit. And I think that's just culturally how it is, you know, with social media, I think it's bred a lot of that. But 
you know, you get so much better from competition and it's not just like, you know, playing against each other in practice, these players are better. You're going to get better, but just the mentality of like pushing the bar. What reason do you have to push the bar if you're already the best and you're getting your ass kissed every day, you know, and like, you're so great. So I think it's so interesting because you obviously know from experience, but, uh, and can say that, but so many people now, they say, oh man, I'm not for the transfer portal. Like you're not allowed to say that or like you're wrong. So that's hard because it's like, you've been in this situation. What would you say to a lot of these guys who I have two questions for you? One is what would you say to a lot of these guys who want to transfer just after one year? Two is where else were you looking? If you were going to transfer from Kentucky, where would you have gone? Okay, to your first question, it, it's I think, you know, guys just got to be ready to to fight it out, you know, and and I think you learn from the person in front of you, you know, they they can help give you more experience, you know, they're only going to teach you more about the game, especially things that you don't know, and you know, so when guys are thinking about transferring, like you really have to consider where you're going, you 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 own a scholarship, you earned a scholarship to a to a place that you wanted to go, and the decision that you made, you know, what I'm saying like my mom told me. She was like, you made this decision. She said, I didn't want to go to school there. She said, so you're not coming back home. She said, you have to go somewhere else. You're not coming back here. So she kind of forced me to grow up in this generation because when they call mom, what does mom do? Okay, baby, where you want to go to school? It's the coach's fault. So instead of blaming someone, you have to look in the mirror yourself and say, I'm responsible for who I am. I can Mm -hmm. lie to my parents. I can lie to the coach. I can lie to friends. You can't Mm -hmm. lie to yourself. And the second part of your question it was probably going to be Memphis, University of Memphis now, but it was Memphis mm-hmm. State back then, and it was close to the home. But, you know, staying was the best decision in my life. Yeah. I can't lie to you, you know, because as I <laughs> reflect back on the, 90, the 92 season where we made it to the Final Four, we lost to Michigan, that Fab Five team, um, you know, I, I really wanted to come back. You know, I, I think I was had my mind set on leaving, but also, I just didn't want to quit on my on my teammates, you know. So it was more about not quitting on them and not giving up on myself. Yeah, I love that. One of my favorite quotes that's helped me, like in the industry, I feel like there's opportunities to get jealous everywhere or to get down on yourself. Be like, oh, he's starting, I'm not starting. Or like, this girl's working here and I'm not working there. One time I read this quote, it was like, instead of getting jealous, like get inspired by that other Ooh, person. I like that. And oh my God, that'll just change your whole world. Because instead of like, bringing yourself down being like, I got that. It's like, whoa, you, you kind of take note of what they're doing. And you're like, how can I improve to get there? So it makes you better. And there's no shame or guilt or anything involved. It's just all about bringing a better you every day type thing. Thank you. You, you talked about TD that it's the best decision you ever made to stay. When you think of maybe not even the basketball stuff, all the stuff that you've done, in your life, like if you were 18 and you look ahead till now, I mean, you're an author, you've written your own book, right? You got your own Lorenzo's line of wine, you got the Tony Delk I'm at Regeneration Center, all these things that you've done. Which one back in the early 90s seemed to be the least likely? Like you could you look now and say, Wow, I really got my own wine, right? Wow, I really got my own I'm at Regeneration Center. Which one would Tony 18 year old Tony Delk be like, Wow, I, I never saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the one that stands out the most is the wine because I don't drink. And, and that's the funniest thing. When people say wine, they were like, how, how did you get involved with wine and you don't even drink? Yeah. You know, it, it, it was a, it was a venture that a friend brought brought to to my 
to me probably years ago. And I, and I was so involved with basketball that I didn't consider doing it. But, you know, once I got back to Kentucky, I went around to a couple of different wineries and I kind of was like, hey, you know what? There's something new, it's something different. And, you know, I can't say I'm passionate about it that much because I don't drink, but when it comes down to, to something that you really like and you, it's not even always about making money, but I saw, so, so I could give something back to so many people. Cause what I did with my uh, profits this year, I gave all of the profits, my half back to uh, KCH. So it was not only selling wine, but also giving back to uh, a charitable um, place that, you know, that do so many great things for so many people. So, you know, it was, it was about doing something that could benefit and help the kids. And that's where I'm at, even with my academy, is that I want to make sure those kids are involved in something that's positive for them, but also give them a great outlook on life. That's it, man. That's, that's great stuff. Every time you mention, every time we talk about it, you know, all the, the proceeds going to Kentucky Children's Hospital and, you know, for the youngsters and then influencing the kids with the academy too. So, man, just... Just helping kids all the way around, for sure. And I don't, I'm out of state, so I always, you know, go to the website and, and watch the episodes of BBN tonight. So, where do you live? What the heck? Man, I live, I'm outside of Knoxville. So, nothing orange about me, but I'm outside of Knoxville. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll binge them, go to the website and binge all the clips and see all the interviews and keep up the great work. And, Thank you. Uh, and congratulations on getting the opportunity to come back yeah. home and talk about the cats for a living. You know, just boom, BB in tonight. That's perfect. BB in tonight. And we'll have to have her back on for sure. You got to come back on and, and grace us with your presence and your smile. Okay. Absolutely. You know it. Always smile. Important. That's right. So everybody, subscribe, download this one, check Anna out, listen to the past episodes as well. We, you know, Walker Riccardi, we mentioned him. Other former cats have been on, Tom Leach, Dick Gabriel, you know, check those out. Definitely download, subscribe, tell your friends about this one, tweet it, retweet it, share it, and all that good stuff, because this has been another fun episode with Anna Trullo on Believe in Kentucky, presented by Bet Online. We had a blast. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank, Thank you. you, Anna. Thanks, Tony and Vinny. Okay. All right. Yeah, take care. Thank you. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube